Well, listen, we're, we're getting into the, uh, we've been going through the, the book of Acts together, and we're in Acts chapter 18. So if you've got your Bibles, um, turn with me to Acts 18. I'll tell you, there are some weeks as, as a preacher where, um, where you're kind of like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what I have to give today. Like, I, I'm kind of, I'm struggling, right? Like I, and it's not necessarily like personally, it's just like um, we're going through the book of Acts. I'm in Acts chapter 18. And I don't know if maybe you, every time you read the Bible, it just comes alive to you. Um, Sometimes I'll read through and I'm like, ah, maybe we should just do Acts 19. Like maybe we should, can we, would anyone even notice, you know, would you even, would you be like, wait a minute, we didn't do that, right? Like, I don't know, maybe some of you would, some of you wouldn't. but I was going through Acts 18 and the Lord just kind of deposited a word. And the title of my message today is A Word for the Weary. And um, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, even as I came in here this morning, I'm like, Lord, I, I pray that this, that this is a word for someone in here today. And from everywhere from men's morning prayer to Katie's word to the word that Tom had through, through, like, through, through scripture, he didn't even know what I was preaching on. Um, I just know that I know that I know that, that God has a word for more than just you here today. I, I, I believe that this is a word for, um, for, for all of us, even in the place that we're in, um, in, in our culture here in America, and even where you are personally. So I just encourage you, I, I just really feel like this is, a, this is a good word for you. So Acts chapter 18, would you mind standing up as we honor the reading of God's word today? We're going we're gonna to start off in verse 1. And uh, just to remind you, if you're kind of tracking along with us, we just ended Acts chapter 17, where Paul was in Athens and he was in the marketplace preaching to the Stoics and the Epicureans and the philosophers. And he goes up and he's talking to all the, the hoity-toities and about the, the unknown God that they had a shrine for. And he was saying, this God that you don't know is this, the God of everything. Uh, it's Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. And so um, we find... We're going to pick up in Acts 18. Paul has left Athens. He's traveled about 50 miles west to the city of Corinth. And this is where we we pick it up. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. While Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who had heard Paul believed and were baptized. And one night, one night, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio, the, the, the proconsul of Achaia, 
The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. They said, this man, they charged him, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. And he drove them off. And then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the the new synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Lord Jesus, um, as we just kind of go through what seems kind of be like a yearbook um, of like all the things that, that happened here in Corinth, I pray that your word to Paul would be a reminder for every single one of us that find ourselves weary. God, that you would lift up our heads and realize that you have never left us nor forsaken us, that you have called us for such a time as this, that you have placed us in the place where you've placed us for a purpose. And may we, may we, may we just literally not quit so that we can see the harvest that you have planned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So, so Paul leaves Athens after kind of a lackluster, less than overwhelming response from the Areopagus. We saw in the end of Acts chapter 17, it says that some of them mocked him, some of them were curious, and a few of them believed. And he gets in Corinth, and it doesn't say this, but you'd, you'd kind of have to know this in, in through maybe a little bit of study or what you can even tell from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But Corinth at that time was known to be like a really uh, immoral city. And in fact, if, if somebody at that time were to play a Corinthian in a play, they would usually be portrayed as somebody who was drunk. So, like, to be called a Corinthian in that time meant that you were morally loose, okay? So, like, the, this is kind of like, this is the sentiment, this is what, how people outside of Corinth viewed Corinthians. And there was this hill in Corinth called the Acropolis, and on top of the Acropolis was the Temple of Aphrodite. And if you don't know anything about Aphrodite, Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of sexual love. And so, it's said that in its heyday, that there was about 1,000 priestesses in, housed in the temple of Aphrodite. Essentially, they are temple prostitutes. And so every night they would go down from the hill, from the Acropolis, from the temple, and apply their trade. So you can just imagine the immorality that is just normal. In fact, even religious, even encouraged in the culture in Corinth and, and surrounding. So this is what Paul comes into, walks into this type of city. And to top it all off, um, he's pretty much alone. He's, he's got he's, his friends Silas and Timothy that were supposed to meet with him when he was in Athens. They never showed up. He leaves Athens, goes 50 miles west to Corinth. They're still not there. God knows where they are, right? Like we, they're just, they get held up. And not only that, he needs money. So like he's not, you know, like he's not like independently wealthy, so he needs money for his food and shelter, clothing, all of these types of things. 
And as I was reading this, it doesn't explicitly say this, but we get the implicit sense that Paul is weary. Like he's a bit discouraged. Have you ever been there? <laughs> you, ever, you ever been there where you're just like, man, like things are just not going the way that I thought they were going to go. There are kind of like three different types of people in this room. Those who are becoming weary, those who are weary, and those who will be weary someday. Because weariness is something that, that settles in on you, and, and many times you don't realize it until you already are there. And there are people even here right now and even watching online that are weary, and nobody really knows it. But you. I mean, you're still serving, but you just feel numb. You're, you're still like being faithful, but it's really just kind of like duty that you're continuing and, dr and driving you at this, at this point, at this juncture in life. You're, you're weary in your marriage. Maybe you're, you're weary with taking care of a family member. Maybe you're weary of kind of the drama in family that you feel like you're always having to, to cover for. Maybe you're weary of for waiting just for a breakthrough in an, in an area of your life. Weariness is is a thing that creeps into every single one of our lives. And you can get weary of being faithful. You can get weary of being loving. You can get weary of being generous, weary of smiling at people, right? Weary of not punching that coworker in the face. Like, you can get weary in doing good. Do you realize that? Like, you can be doing all the right things, church, Christian, you could be doing all the right things, saying all the right words, and yet find yourself weary, even in the midst of doing good, weary of not doing the thing that you used to be addicted to, weary of not clicking on that site that you used to click on. Like, you can get weary in the midst of doing good. You ever just been weary? Not, not because you're, you're doing bad things, but maybe you're doing good things, but in the midst of it, you're like, why am I doing this again? Like, why do I do the good things that I'm doing? and we lose sight of why we do what we do. And so we look at the Apostle Paul, and he's doing a good work. I mean, this guy is on a short-term missions trip. You can't get better than that, right? I mean, he is like, he's, he's traveling around. He's telling people about Jesus. This is a good work that he's in. But, but probably Paul knows better than any of you, and I mean that, of what it looks like to get weary in doing good. Because Paul actually preaches to himself in Galatians, Galatians 6, 9. He says this, let us, which would include him, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will see a harvest, reap a harvest, if, what? If we do not give up. <laughs> I mean, this is like, um, I've heard this just even this morning, somebody quoting this scripture, that in the midst of our own weariness, in the midst of doing good things and becoming weary, it's this, if we do not give up, it's the perseverance of the people of God that brings us to the place of seeing the harvest that only God has prepared. And, and I would just encourage you, if you're just like, man, you're in this place, write down Galatians 6.9. May it be something that you put on a mirror to just remind yourself of why you do what you do. Because the thing that I love about this is this. It says, not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, 
we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I love that essentially Paul is, is likening this uh, life having seasons because life has seasons, doesn't it? And there are some times where you are in plowing season. That's never really fun. Picking up rocks, clearing land, preparing fertile soil. And then you're in other seasons where you're planting. That's not as bad. And then, but the season after planting season is, is probably the worst season for me because it's, it's weeding and watering and waiting season. And if you've ever planted a garden, that is the longest season because you're like, how much longer do I have to go tend to this thing and water it two times a day and I need to weed out all of these things? Where are all these weeds coming from, right? You're better growing weeds than you are the tomatoes that you actually planted. And you're going and you're weeding and you're watering and you're waiting. And here's the problem. When we're talking about seasons, Galatians 6, 9, when you're in a plowing season, when you're pulling weeds and you're waiting, it's easy to look at somebody else's harvest season and you want to quit in the season that you're in. Well, so we think things, well, why don't I ever get to be in the blessing and the harvest like they are? Well, I mean, like it must be nice to always just be in harvest season. I'm digging in the dirt and pulling up weeds, right? And so we have this, this nagging sense in the back of our minds, like, I think I'm done with this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if, 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 if we do not give up. <laughs> we were talking this morning about how God always has a remnant, right? Do you realize the remnant is the remnant because they were just too dumb or stubborn to give up? That's why they're the remnant. Why? Because they... They chose to believe that they, in, it, even in the weariness of doing good, at the proper time, they would reap a harvest if they did not, would not give up. Let me just remind you of what Paul preached. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Can I tell you, you will only appreciate the harvest if you take part in plowing. You only appreciate it if you take part in the plowing process. So, what I want to talk to you today about this is like, how do we not grow weary in the waiting? How do we stay focused as we're, as we're in a plowing season? We're in a waiting, a watering, a weeding season. How does God refresh us when we become weary in doing good? And as we look at the life of Paul, as we look at the situation that he's in, what is it that, that God did in his life to bring refreshing in his weariness. The first thing is this. He sends us friends to help. He sends us friends to help. So if you're weary, you need godly relationships in your life. This is an unashamed plug for life groups. You, you, you need godly relationships in your life. If you're like, man, you have no idea, Pastor Jason, like I am dragging myself in here. You don't understand. I live in the middle of the woods and I don't know anybody. I, I don't even, have, I mean, I am so far away from even my neighbors, right? My, my best friend is my dog. Like you're in this place where you're like, I, I, I am so isolated right now. 
you need godly relationships. Our temptation is that when we become weary is to isolate, to distance ourselves, and to get more me time. Isn't it? Oh, I'm so tired. I need, I need more of me. No, you, believe me, you do not need more of you. Right? You, you, need, you need other people in your life to, to speak into your life. One thing that we've learned through this pandemic is that isolation and quarantining does not help us emotionally or spiritually. It's just truth. And like, it may have helped you physically, may have helped you to, to not get the you know, coronavirus, but I'm just telling you, our isolation, if we just take a look at our kids in our schools right now, it has not helped us emotionally. It has not helped us spiritually. There's, there's a, a truth in, in Hebrews 10, verse 24. The, the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's this idea that there is this spurring on, there is this encouragement that only comes through godly relationships, through gathering together with people of like faith. And so Paul meets these new friends. I believe that God placed these people in his life. Aquila and Priscilla, kind of cute. Their names rhyme. They, they show up. And I love it in verse 2 of chapter 18. It says, Paul went to see them. Listen, God may place people in your life, but you are responsible to seek them out in relationship. That, and, and, that, and that's the difficult part. I think we get into this place when we're weary I just don't know why nobody calls me. I don't know why I, you know, no, no, nobody's texting me. Nobody's picking up the phone. I love the fact that Paul, in his weariness, in, his, in a place that he doesn't know anybody, it says that he went to see them. Because oftentimes in our weariness, we won't recognize the gift of friendship that God has placed in our life. We just, we just don't see it. And Aquila and Priscilla end up becoming lifelong friends to Paul. He writes about them. Romans chapter 16, verse 3. He writes to the Romans, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Isn't, it's amazing that he meets these two people, goes to see them. They become lifelong friends, co-workers. It's for some, I don't know what they did, but they risked their lives for him in friendship. Do you realize that sometimes our greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is not what's done up on a stage? It's, it, it may be you coming alongside others to raise them up. And this is what Aquila and Priscilla, two people, we don't ever see them preaching. We don't see anything else other than the fact that they were co-workers with Paul. And Paul says they risked their lives for him. So we get refreshed when we get connected to godly relationships. And this is what happens in Paul. And so finally, Silas and Timothy show up, finally. I don't know how, how long these guys had been like lollygagging around, but they show up. Verse 5, it says this. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So finally, his boys show up, and he's like, great, I don't have to do tent making. I don't have to do my leather working thing anymore. I can devote myself to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 6, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, catch that, 
it, it's happening again. He must have thought, this is getting, this is getting predictable. Every stinking city I go to ends the same way. I go in, I start preaching the gospel because I love people and I won't want them to die and I don't want them to go to hell. So I'm preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and it always ends with me being threatened, being beaten, being stoned, being left for dead or being put into prison. Like it always ends the same way and it's happening all over again. It just happened in Athens. I was scared of what was going to happen and I was going through there. Don't forget Lystra. I went there three, four times. This thing is happening all over again. And Paul pretty much freaks out on him. He's like, I am done, right? You could tell that he's just, he's weary. How many of you know when you're weary, the words that come out of your mouth aren't always the best ones, right? If you're tired, man, just give me a stinking reason to rip you up, right? And this is what's going on with Paul. I'm telling you, I know it's in the Bible, but I'm not saying that God is saying, yes, oh, I, I approve of this. I think a lot of things that Paul says, he just said. And we're just like, yeah, it happened. Paul totally ripped him up, right? Read it for yourself. This is what happens. Verse 6, it says, he shook out his clothes in protest. I don't know what, I mean... I literally starts, you know, banging his shoes together, the dust thing. And this is what he says to them. He says, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm out of here. I'm going to the Gentiles. And he literally walks next door. And there's like a house next door. Uh, there's this guy that kind of takes him in. And um, he essentially makes a house church right next door to the synagogue. I don't know. It's a little awkward, a little weird. So people are kind of going to the synagogue and he's probably standing on the porch like, you want to hear the real truth? Come on over here, right? And, and so it starts to get success. People are like drawing a crowd and they're kind of like, they're going to the synagogue, but then they kind of go and listen to Paul preach. So much so, catch this, he's having so much success that Crispus, verse eight, the synagogue leader, which is like the, the, the guy in charge of the synagogue, you got it, and his entire household come to the Lord. He's, I mean, this is the guy who's in charge of the synagogue. He's like, whoa, what's going on over here? And he goes and he listens to Paul. His whole, his whole family gets saved. And it says, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. I mean, this is good news. You just won over. I mean, the guy next door leading this other thing just came to faith in Christ and he's the leader of the synagogue. This is a big deal. This is a win. So my question is this, as you look at verse 8, what happened between verse 8 and verse 9? Because as far as I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is a good deal, man. Like, this is awesome. You just won over the synagogue leader. And here's what I was, as I was reading through it this week, thinking, should we just do Acts 19? I think we should probably just do Acts 19. It's this. Sometimes we read through the Bible, and it's like, okay, it's a list of like places, names, uh, you know, interactions, meetings, kind of thumbnail sketches of, 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 of what happened in this different place and in these different cities. But here's what I know to be true, is that life happens in the in-between. Like real life happens in the in-between. The stuff, the, the angst, the feels, all of those things, the emotions, the, the ups and the downs all happen in the in-between. So we read the thumbnail sketch of Acts chapter 18. It's like, oh, okay, great. All these great things are happening. But the reality is, and what we know to be true, is that Paul is not a superhero. I don't know if you realize this. He's a human being, a man, flawed, just like you and I trying to serve God. 
He's not a superhero. His name is Paul. And he's a guy filled with the Holy Spirit, trying to serve God and trying not to rip people up, right? Because <laughs> he's weary and he's tired and he feels alone. And every single city he goes into, it starts out real good. And then he ends up getting stoned and left for dead. And he's, he's weary. And, and how, how do we know that he's weary? Because look at what the Lord goes out of his way to speak to him. Verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Catch what God had to say to Paul. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So how does God refresh those who are weary in doing good? Well, he sends friends to help us, but he also sends his word for hope. He sends us his word. And we say all the time around here that we believe that the word of God mines the gold out of people, of anyone who receives it. And many times, the only thing that will keep you is a word from the Lord. So if you're in this place, you're like, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I've, I've got some friends and, 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 and I've got people around me. I just want you to understand, words from a counselor, encouragement from a friend will take you far. But one word from God is worth far more than any word from a person. And if you're like, and, and I know, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to push you because I know that you, what some of you are thinking, well, I don't, I don't hear from God. I don't, I don't, I've never heard him speak to me. I've never gotten a prophetic word. You know, I've never had somebody come say, and thus saith the Lord. And I've, I don't have that in my life, Pastor Justin. Like, I don't know what it looks like. I've never had a vision. I've never had a dream. I've, ne I've never operated in the gift of prophecy. I don't have that. Then I would encourage you to get into the word of God. Because it's when you get into the word of God that God speaks to you through his word. And sometimes it'll happen and someone will share something and it'll come and sometimes you're reading and it just drops into your spirit as though this is God's word for me for such a time as this. But it can't get into you if it's not into you. You got to get into it. Yeah, but I don't know how to read it. You start. Just start reading. Just start getting into it. You might start reading through, you know, don't start in Leviticus or... I just would say, I was maybe, maybe start one of the gospels, start going through it. But the reality is, is that God could speak to you in Leviticus. Do you realize that? Like God could speak to you if, if his word is truly living, if his, if his word is truly powerful, then all of it's powerful and all of it is good. And so when we get it into us, then he gives us his word for hope for such a time as this. So, yeah, we need friends for help, but we need his word for hope. And the reality is, is that, that God can be moving mightily in Paul's life, and yet Satan is attacking stealthily. You catch that? I mean, this is good news. Paul just won over the synagogue leader. This should be like, beat the band. We're winning. This is awesome. Jesus, hallelujah, right? And in the middle of, of it, God has to come to Paul in a dream, in a vision, and give him words of life to a man who's obviously weary let me encourage you in something, church. The, pro the presence of problems does not negate the presence of God. 
So if you've got things going on in your life, you've got things that aren't necessarily going the way that you thought that they would, I just want you to understand the presence of problems does not negate the presence of God in your life. In fact, the stronger the temptation you have to quit usually indicates the significance of that thing that you want to quit. In fact, everything significant that you are called to do in your life, you will probably be more than likely tempted to quit at least once. We don't quit the insignificant. We quit the significant. I'm preaching to somebody in here that God has called you into something and he's saying, do not quit. I've called you. And I know it'd be easier. I know it'd be easier to walk away. But I've called you for such a time as this. And in the face of what I would say even for us, take Paul out of the equation, in the face of a pandemic of quitting right now in our life, in our lifetime, God is looking for people of faith that would stand. Just stand and, and stay, stand. So you need the word of God to refresh you. You need it. In fact, in the face of discouragement, God just kind of shows up in this vision, speaks to Paul in his weariness, and encourages him to, to quit some things. I want to just run down through these things. In your notes, there, there's these four things that, that God speaks to, speaks to Paul. And in the midst of him, I don't know, he doesn't say it out loud, but I think in, those, in that time, he's thinking, I don't know if I kind of do this anymore. I don't know if I'm up for another beating. I don't think you get used to getting beat. I don't think you get to the point where you're just like, oh yeah, every single city I go to, I just get beaten with an inch of my life and then get thrown in prison. Next, next please. I don't think you get to the point where you're like, yep, this is just my call in life. I go to the city, I preach in the synagogue, they, they try to stone me, they put me in prison, maybe I get freed, maybe I don't, something happens. I don't think you get used to that. I think you just decide I'm called to it. And if God is truly with me, then I'm going to walk as far as he leads me. And God speaks to Paul. He wants him to quit some things, not the thing, but quit some things. Because when we choose to quit some things, it gives us courage to not quit the God thing. And th listen, these are the things that he tells him to quit. The first thing he says this, quit being afraid. He doesn't say it quite like that. He says it this way, do not be afraid. <laughs> You're like, well, I kind of took that out of context. I, I don't think so, actually. Why, why would God lead with this? I think because he was afraid. I think because every stinking city the guy walks into, it ends the exact same way, and guess what? It's brewing up again. And here it goes. You know what? I am done. Silas, Timothy, I don't know what the heck you guys have been doing since I was in Athens. Now we're in Corinth, but peace out. Y'all have a great time. I'm going to hang out with John Mark who, who bailed out way back in Derby. Right? I'm out of here. I think in those moments, he's just real. There's, there's a real rawness of like, I am, I am so weary in doing good. And the only thing, it's great that I have these friends around me, but I need to be centered in the word of God that is something that is in the inside of me or else all the storms around me are going to detract from me and distract me and cause me to either run towards or run away. But when you have the word of God down in you, you just know that you know that you know. Even if you want to quit, you can't. That's the beauty of it. You could talk about quitting all day long, but you're just like, yeah, but I just, but I can't. Why? Because I have a word from the Lord. And it really stinks sometimes. 
but I know that I know that I know that I know. I think sometimes we think that courage is the absence of fear, where you finally beat your fear down enough to say, okay, now no longer exists. But courage is just doing it scared. Just continually to just walk in what we know that God's called you to. He says, quit being afraid. And rather than quitting, here's the second thing. He says, quit being silent. Quit being silent. God says, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Those are the words of Paul, or words of God to Paul. And in a day and age where drama is everywhere, I don't know if you noticed this. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, you, if you've been awake for the past year and a half, but here's, here's what I want to be very clear, because I think sometimes we can take a word of God and take it out of context and apply it to our own context and make our own meaning, Right? Here's what I want you to understand. What God was not saying to Paul is, you need to tell everybody your opinion. You need to tweet that tweet, Paul. Paul, you need to rant on Facebook. Paul, people need to understand that you've got, you, you, you got opinions and your opinions need to be heard. Do not be silent, Paul. No, here's what God is saying to Paul time and time again is this. Do not be silent about Jesus Christ. And my, I watched the church really outspoken about a lot of things, but I don't see them very outspoken about Jesus Christ and him resurrected from the dead. So when you hear those words, do not be silent. Do not be silent about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Because people do not need more of your opinion. They need more of Jesus. He is the only one that saves. He says, do not be silent. So Paul, so Christian in the 21st century, do not be silent about Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus in the marketplace. Speak the name of Jesus while you're under duress. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Do not be silent about Jesus and him crucified, died, buried, and resurrected from the dead. Do not be, do not be silent about him. Next thing he says, rather than quitting, rather than just saying I'm, I'm done, quit thinking that you're alone. I'll say what God said to him. God said, for I am with you. This is the greatest hope that we have in our day. Because, and this is not a special dispensation for the Apostle Paul. Like, I'm going to be with you, Paul. And so you, you have me. All these other people, they wish they had me, but I'm only, I'm you. I, I'm just with you, Paul. Now, this is a reminder for each and every single one of us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you, which means that you are never alone. The Holy Spirit lives with you and is in you. He is there to help you and to lead you into truth. 
He is there to speak you. He is the, he speak to you. He is there to lift you up when your head is down. You are never alone. And the last thing he says is, quit believing you don't have a purpose. This is one that I kind of took the liberty of. Because God says, I have many people in this city. And I don't necessarily know what God means about that, to be honest. A whole bunch of commentaries say a bunch of different things about it. Here's what I do know, is that God was not done with Paul. And God is not done with you. About seven years ago, um, I think it was around then, my family and I were, uh, the day after, after Christmas, we were driving down to Tennessee to see some family, and we got in a car accident. It was like a 35-car pileup, and um, those of you who've been around here for a while, you probably remember it, but um, our, we were driving a Prius, which if you've never seen a Prius, very, very tiny, and and and. Now we're back on. An 18-wheeler um, crushed right through the whole left-hand side of our vehicle. And uh, my daughter had like a crushed pelvis and had a broken sternum, collapsed lung, all that kind of stuff. And um, we, we got her into the truck bed next to us. And, uh, and we were just, I remember very distinctly as the snow was falling, freezing cold in the middle of this mayhem, we were singing Amazing Grace. And, uh, and my son, how old was he? Who's seven? Um, yeah, he's taller than me now. Um, was sitting with Molly, and he's like, oh. She's, she was the one that got really rocked. And he was stroking her hair, and he just kept saying over and over and over again, Molly, God saved us for a purpose. Seven. Molly, God saved us for a purpose. Molly, God saved us for a purpose. Can I just tell you, church? God has saved you for a purpose. And you may be like, well, yeah, but it's not the what I thought it was going to be. And I thought that it was going to be this, and it's not that. And I'm just ticked. And it seems like every single time this happens, and it, and it doesn't happen the way that I thought. And I had a word, but it didn't turn out the way that I did. Can I just remind you, God has saved you for a purpose. And it may not be all the things that you thought it was going to be, but it does not negate his presence in your life. It does not negate that he called you and has saved you for a purpose. which means that the problems around you have nothing to do with the God who is within you. He saved you for a purpose. I want to remind you, church, this is not the end. It's not over. If you are still sucking oxygen on planet Earth, that means that don't give up. Do not despair. You matter. Your life matters. You have a purpose. Jesus sees you. He is for you. You are not alone. He says, I am with you. And he will guide you. So do not be afraid. Do not be silent. Keep on speaking. For I am with you. And I've given you purpose. Why don't you stand with me?
Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The Bible says that we will reap a harvest. God promises a harvest if we do not give up. May we allow ourselves to be encouraged in the midst of doing good so that we do not grow weary and miss the harvest. He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want you to give up in plowing season. He doesn't want you to give up in weeding season, watering season, waiting season. He doesn't want you to give up because the only way that we truly appreciate the harvest is when we go and put in the time of plowing. <laughs> and church, you need godly relationships. You need people that will speak truth into your life and sometimes drag your sorry butt back to Jesus. You do. And you need a word from, from the Lord. And some of you do. Some of you have received words. Some of you have, have received, like, rhema words from God. You've received prophetic words from God. Some of you, even as we each year pray about a word for the year, you've received a word. Some of you need to get those words out, write them down, and make them plain to remind you that God has saved you for a purpose. Amen? And so quit. Not, not the God things, but quit the things that are competing for the calling of God in your life. Quit being afraid. Quit being silent. Quit thinking that you're alone. He says, I am with you. Quit believing that you don't have a purpose because he's not done with you yet. So as we sing today, I'm going to have the team sing through this song together. It's called, Yet Not I. And I just, I, I hope that if maybe if anything has, has struck in your, in your heart today, I pray that today would be a day where you just realize, even in the midst of, of me trying to do good, even in the midst of great things happening, may I never just get to the place where I'm doing good things, but it's, it's divorced from the good life. It's divorced from being a life in the spirit. It's divorced from being and living in relationship with God. And so Jesus, we realize that it is not me. It is, it is not I, but you. And Lord, we lift you up high above. We repent for just trying to phone it in. We repent for trying to just do things. Why? Because, well, it's just good. We should do it but we're weary in the midst of it because we're not getting our lifeblood from the source. We don't get our lifeblood from doing good. We get our lifeblood from the Holy Spirit. When we pull on him and we put a draw on the anointing, then we do good out of an overflow rather than out of a duty. And so Jesus, I lift you up high in this place. And church, I pray that as you sing this, that maybe today you just renew your love for him. In the midst of your weariness, ask him to fill you fresh again and lift him up high above your circumstances, above the problems, above the drama, above all these other things and say, Jesus, you're, you're worth it all. God, I thank you that you have never left us, 
nor forsaken us. You are so good. You are so good. You are so good. Let's worship together, church.